Sarah, as we turn to his word. So let's pray for his help, shall we? Our Father, as we open your word together today, we thank you. Your word is a living word. We thank you that the one who inspired it, the Holy Spirit, is here to help us today to understand it. So we commit this time of study into your word and pray that he would help me as the preacher and my friends here, Lord, as the listeners, Lord, to be able to receive your word together as we bring you our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't guessed already, we're looking today at the book of Philippians and chapter 4. Philippians and chapter 4 and verses 2 to 9 at the end. Philippians chapter 4 verses 2 to 9. And the heading for the sermon today is, How Can I Find the Peace of God? Philippians chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul writing this letter says, I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Sintashi to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds In Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, uh, the actor Harrison Ford was being interviewed uh, not long ago and in the interview they talked about having possessions and he said you only really want what you haven't got and the interviewer was bold enough to ask him Mr Ford what is it that you haven't got and then with one word he replied peace peace you know what? I think that's what most of the world is looking for. If you go to The Hague, you'll find a government building there, which is the library, and it has 75,000 volumes on the subject of peace. And yet there's no peace in our world, is there? I heard about uh, uh, a man who was interviewing uh, uh, people who were uh, looking for... Uh, uh, sorry, who were at the Wailing Wall... And uh, what they were in the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, where the Jewish people go to pray. And uh, he interviewed one elderly man who said he'd been coming to the Wailing Wall, he said, for 60 years. He said, and what are you praying for? He said, I'm praying for peace. And the uh, interviewer said, well, how do you feel considering the state of Israel's neighbours and their relations today? He said, I feel like I'm talking to a wall. Well, he was talking to a wall because unless they come through the Lord Jesus Christ, 
uh, God won't hear our prayers. That's a lesson for all of us. But it is what the world is looking for. The world is looking for peace. And the Christian can say that we can have the peace of God if we have, first of all, peace with God. Now, that is the order, and we must make that absolutely clear. The peace of God, the peace that comes into our hearts in circumstances, can only be known when, first of all, we are right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, between you and God, there is an outstanding issue of our sin. And I say ours because it's your sin, but it's also Adam's sin from the Garden of Eden. And that stands between you and a holy God. And that issue must be resolved. And if you want God to give you his peace, you've got to get that issue resolved. And the way to do that is to come to God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again for your salvation and forgiveness. When Jesus died on the cross, the sins of the world were put on him. So if we want him to be, he can be our saviour, our rescuer, and rescue us from the sin that offends a holy God and which damns our soul. And if if we ask for that in Jesus' name and trust in Christ's saving work, then we will be forgiven and we will have peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we begin with having peace peace with God but then we can go on to know the peace of God and even as Paul ends on this passage even knowing the God of peace with us continually and this is what Paul was writing to the church at at Philippi in Greece uh, about I have at home a, a couple of stones a friend of mine gave me he was a lorry driver long distance lorry driver and he said I've got a couple of stones as a present for you little grey stones I should have bought them this morning I said thank you I said it's uh, the strangest gift I've ever been given I said where did you get these he said I was in Philippi as they say and he said and I went down to where the where the old city was where the prison was and I picked up a couple of stones to give you So I've got a little bit of Philippi at home. It was a real place in Greece and there was a church there which was planted by the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. We read about that in Acts chapter 16 and it was the first church planted in Europe and it was a key church because it was breaking into a new area with the gospel. Now Paul knew that a a church in such a strategic location was going to be attacked by the devil. And so he made a point of writing a letter to them, even from his prison cell in Rome in the year AD 64, to strengthen the church and protect them. And I think this is, this is what the book of Philippians is. It's Paul's protection manual for churches. Because each chapter deals with an issue that threatens the local church. Chapter 1 deals with the issue of persecution. And this was something they were worried about. Won't persecution destroy the church? And Paul gives the answer to that in chapter 1. And he says, look at me, I'm being persecuted. I'm in the prison here in Rome. But as a result of me being here, others are now out there preaching the gospel. And the people in Rome, in this, in, even in Caesar's palace, have heard the gospel. So he said, don't worry about persecution. Trust in the Lord and in his plans to use it. Don't worry that persecution will destroy the church. But then in chapter 2, he deals with another issue that could threaten the church, and that's division. And he says there's an answer to division, 
And he said it's to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that humility that Christ had is the answer to division in the church. That's the problem and the answer in chapter 2. Chapter 3, the issue was false teachers. And Paul gave a robust defence against the false doctrines against, uh, that attacked the gospel uh, in chapter 3 to defend it. But now in chapter 4, he comes to perhaps the most personal one of all. And it is the cares of this life. Because, you know, the cares of this life affect all of us individually, don't they? I heard a man, about a man who was a, 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 a safari man out in Africa. And he said, whenever you find a carcass that's picked clean, he said, you can be sure it was killed by a big animal, like a lion. He said, but it was picked clean by the ants. And isn't it so often the little things in life that eat away at us? And the cares of this world can be a great problem to us. And so Paul, in chapter 4, strengthens the church so that they may continue with dealing with the cares of this life in chapter 4. And he starts off with this issue of having peace with God in all circumstances. I want us to look at this today uh, because you know what? Life will beat us up. But we can be upbeat in Christ. We can be uh, in peace in him. Mark Hitchcock, great American preacher, said, When we die as believers, we will enter God's peace. But in, in, uh, in the meantime, we can have God's peace with us. And that's what we all want to know, isn't it? So let's see here five ways in which we can have Peace, the peace of God. And what I'm telling you is not something theoretical, it's something that Paul himself knew. Because in the last verse, he says this, he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He said, what I'm talking about is what you can see in my life. And you can see it if you follow these things as a believer who's got peace with God, then you will know God peace in your life and circumstances as well so let's see these five things five ways through which we can have the peace of God and the first is through pardon and that's what we see in verses two to three Paul says I plead with you Odia, and I plead with Sintashi to agree with each other in the Lord Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We need to have peace with God, and that's a vertical peace, but we need to have a horizontal peace as well, and that's peace with each other. And we need to have peace in our relationships, especially in the church. And this is what Paul is appealing for here with two sisters in the church at Philippi who had had a disagreement, Euodia and Sintashi. And I always smile at those names because when I was a little boy, I used to think it was you, oh dear. <laughs> and Sintashi just sounded like someone who was, she's so touchy, you know. And maybe these were part of the issues uh, that the church was facing. But Euodia and Sintashi were two ladies in the church who'd had a disagreement. 
Now, it's interesting that Paul mentions this because the church at Philippi had been founded originally with ladies. You remember Paul went with his uh, evangelistic team to the, ri- the prayer meeting on the river uh, there in Philippi and he found some ladies praying to God and he preached the gospel to them. And the first lady converted was Lydia, uh, a trader, uh, a lady who dealed with um, purple cloth. And it may be that these ladies were also part of that syndicate. Their names are not uh, native to the area, I'm told. Uh, And so they may well be those, like Lydia, who were living and working in the area. And I have to say this. One thing I have experienced in my own church experience as a pastor in a different church is when you have Christians working together, very often that's when you have disagreement over business practice and so on and fallout. And it can bring terrible disruption to the church as well. I've experienced it, sadly. And this may well have been what happened here. I don't think it was a doctrinal disagreement because Paul would have waded in and said, this one's right and that one's wrong. This is the truth. Sort it out. But he didn't do that. He, he appealed for reconciliation and forgiveness. And he, he called on um, somebody called the loyal yoke fellow in verse 3 to help these women. Now, who is the loyal yoke fellow? Some people think it might be Epaphras, the pastor of the church, who was carrying this letter back to the Philippians. But some people also think that the phrase in Greek, the loyal yoke fellow, uh, is actually a person's name. And if I was to try and pronounce it, it would be something like syzygy. And they think, I appeal to you, syzygy, whose name means yoke fellow. Help these two ladies to be yoked together again. You know what a yoke is? A yoke is something you put over two oxen to pull something together. They once pulled together in the gospel. They once contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. We don't know who Clement was. It may have been an early church leader that's known of that name, or it may not. But these ladies once worked with me, and they are believers. Their names are in the book of life, the registry of believers in heaven. And I appeal with you that you help these yoke these ladies to come together again, to be yoke fellow again, even as your name uh, suggests. And he was calling on somebody to be a peacemaker. You know, the Lord Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And he's calling on this man to help in this situation. But I want to say this, dear friends, if we're to have peace, we need to have peace with each other as well as peace with God. Where there's division, there will be unsettlement. You know what it's like when you've fallen out with someone? You can't have peace, can you? And it's a difficult and painful situation. And sometimes, sadly, that even comes in churches. That's something we've got to realise. If we're expecting perfection in the church, we're going to be disappointed. The church is full of sinners on their way to heaven. And sinners, we're like porcupines, you know. We've got a lot of good points, but you can't get near us sometimes without prickling each other. And and sometimes we, we rub each other up the wrong way or we do something wrong and there's a fallout in the church. Well, we need to reconcile and forgive to have that peace. And this is what Paul says. This is what Paul said in the book of Colossians, chapter 3 and verse 15. If you want to just turn over a couple of pages, uh, learn towards your right, you'll come to the next letter, which is Colossians. In chapter 3, verse 15, 
Paul appeals for this. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Chapter 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Listen carefully. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. You see, the two go together. You want to have peace in your heart? We need to have peace with our brethren. That's why as Christians we should pray for the peace in a church to continue. I hope you pray Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's a biblical command. Pray for the peace of spiritual Jerusalem too. Pray for the peace to continue in a church. That there may be peace in our hearts and our unity. You know, we can't get away from that. If we're, if we're not willing to forgive other people, then we ourselves are going to be lacking that peace. You know, in 1999, we had that terrible war out in, uh, in the Balkans. And at the end of that, um, there were some American soldiers who were released from being prisoners of war in Kosovo. And one of them was a Christian, a man by the name of Christopher Stone. And when he was released as a soldier from, that, from, from being in the custody of the, uh, of, of the Serbs, he would not leave the prison until he had first found the prison guard who was over him to pray for him. He knew if he was going to be out in peace outside and not in prison outside, he had to forgive the person who had been most cruel to him in the prison. That man understood the principle. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody today. It's a difficult issue. I greatly sympathize. I always say this when I preach about forgiveness because it's true. C.S. Lewis said, everybody thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they've got something to forgive. It is very hard. But it is the key to peace. You want the peace of God? Forgive other people and ask God for the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do so. And so that's the first step to having the peace of God, pardon. Secondly, praise. And this is what Paul says in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And this is actually something he had started off saying earlier on in the letter. If you come back to chapter 3 and verse 1 of Philippians, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And it's as if Paul was starting on this subject and then he thought, I've got to talk about false teachers. So we'll talk about that. Then we'll come back to this issue of praising the Lord. Uh, But here he says it very dramatically. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And praise is one of the keys to having peace, the peace of God. Now, you don't think this is real. Just remember the story of Paul at Philippi. And remember how he and Silas had been thrown, beaten up and thrown into prison uh, for preaching the gospel there in Philippi. And what did they do? They sat and they licked their wounds and they cursed and they said, oh, how unfaithful everybody had been. Obviously, people aren't praying for us back in the prayer meeting back in Jerusalem. No. Do you know what they did? They praised the Lord. They sang hymns to praise and the Lord heard their praises and uh, he shook that earthquake on Philippi and broke their chains. Praise is a part of what will help us 
bring peace. And so Paul emphasizes this and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So three times he emphasizes in this letter the need to be a rejoicing Christian. You know, when the ladies met the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, and they saw him after going to the tomb, they met the risen Lord Jesus on the way back to meet the disciples in the upper room. They saw the Lord, and if you read it, he says one word in Matthew 28. Do you know what he said? Rejoice. Rejoice. And rejoicing is the note of the Christian who's going to be triumphant over his problems. John Bunyan said, when I believe and sing, my doubting cease. William Thompson said, when I'm sad, to him I go, no other can cheer me so. A modern worship leader, Tim Hughes, has said, worship is transformative. I always wondered what he meant by that, but I think in hindsight, thinking about this, I understand it better. Worship does help bring a change of heart in our situation, an ability to see our situation in a different way. Because when we're praising the Lord with songs that focus on him, we're reminded of all the great things about our God that will help us in the situation. One of those hymns that uh, I, I find a tremendous go-to hymn is How Firm a Foundation, Ye Saints of the Lord. And it's very hard not to sing, to sing that hymn and not be encouraged at the end of it. Because it reminds us of God being with us and how he says, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake you in all the circumstances of life. Maybe that's something for you to look up when you get home. Now you may say, but John, if you knew my circumstances, you'd know that we can't rejoice. Well, dear friends, Paul doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. Look carefully again at the text and he said rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. Paul himself was in prison at Rome as he said this, potentially on death row. It's praising God for who he is. This is what Habakkuk had to do. Do you remember Habakkuk in the Old Testament, the minor prophet who had that uh, debate with God? What, why is the world getting worse when I'm praying for it to get better? And God showed him all the things that were going to happen with the coming Babylonian invasion. And at the end, Habakkuk was no clearer really in his mind uh, of everything that God was planning and doing. But he understood this. God was in control. And this was his closing prayer at the end of his book. He said, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my saviour. He wasn't rejoicing in the circumstances, he was rejoicing in the Lord. Psalm 34 verse 1, the psalmist said, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And this is what Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, continually being a worshipping Christian. I want to challenge you, are you a praising Christian? You'll know more of the peace of God in your life if you are. I'm going to tell you a sad story, and it's a true story. When I was a pastor in our last church, we had a county's evangelist who used to come and speak regularly. He was a good man and a good preacher, and he preached a lot in the, uh, uh, in the churches around uh, the, the south uh, of, of our country. On one occasion, when he was taking the service, he was told, there's a man here today who's just come out of prison. He's just come into the service. And... Uh, 
Stephen said, well, I must make a point of going up and speaking to him afterwards. You know, this could be a, a key moment for him. And after the service, when they were having refreshments, Stephen sought out this man and he went to speak to him. And he said, welcome, thank you for coming. He said, thank you very much. He said, I've had a nice time, but I won't be coming back. And Stephen looked at him and said, I'm so sorry. He said, was it something I said? He said, no, no, it wasn't anything you said. And uh, Stephen said, well, was it something I did? And he said, no, it wasn't anything you did. And Stephen said to him, well, why, why won't you be coming back? And this is what he said. Listen carefully, Christians. He said, every day in prison, I walked out of my cell to see the most miserable faces I've ever seen. He said, when I sat in this church today, I looked around and I saw more miserable faces. And I won't be coming back. Now, let's be honest. All of us are guilty of that, aren't we? We're all a little less joyless than we really should be. It's a fruit of the Spirit and how we need to pray that the Lord fills us with the Holy Spirit so we rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And in doing so, I believe we will experience more of the peace of God as we meditate on these great truths of our God and his, his reality as we sing those songs and praise his name in our hearts. Let's think of the third thing here which Paul mentions, which is patience in verse 5. Because this also is a key to having peace, uh, the peace of God in our hearts. He says in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now what is patience? Well, patience is not the ability to do a crossword or thread a needle. Patience is the ability to cope and endure. One definition I read in a book uh, that said this, patience is the quality that does not surrender to our circumstances. And this is what the believer is called to be, to be patient in all circumstances. Some translations will say gentleness or moderation, but it means keeping, having an evenness about us in all situations. You know, sometimes we find this very difficult, don't we? I find it easier to uh, have patience when I'm in my office on my own than when I'm driving in the car. In that case, I find I need patience with the driver in front of me. And my wife reminds me the driver behind me needs more patience than I do with the driver in front. And I can hear an amen from the back on that. But... uh, Uh, Patience is something that is not easy to have in all situations. Uh, But it is something that we're to try and let manifest from our hearts outwards. Let your gentleness be evident to all. It's one of the things that will stand out about your life when you're tested in a situation. If people see you, stay calm. I remember when we were at Cornhill, uh, we had a a lecturer coming one day to do a lecture on a a man from church history called Richard Baxter. And he was coming to do a lecture on Richard Baxter and his book, The Reformed Pastor, which is a a pastor's classic. And the guy, Ben Wallace, who was coming to speak, he had been held up by train problems and he got to the lecture about a quarter of an hour late. And there we all were, ready pencil sharpened, you know, sat there at our desks, fiddling around, waiting for the lecture came. The poor guy came in, it was chucking it down with rain. 
And I was expecting, you know, if that was me, I'd be thrown. I'd be thrown. I'd find it very hard to get my, uh, my act together to then do a lecture. He came in with such composure and such peace. As soon as he walked in, the whole class quietened down because we recognised that we were going to have a man of God who was going to speak to us today, despite his situation. And it does speak, doesn't it, when we see someone with gentleness. And I'm preaching to myself here because this isn't me. I'm more like the old man who was pushing the pram and the baby was crying his head out in the pram and the old man was going, easy Harold, easy Harold. And the lady walking by said, oh, it's so sweet. The way you're talking so gently, calming down little Harold. And the lady said, look, I'm Harold. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I'm like that because it's, it's not my natural temperament. But we, we can have peace with God if we remember the hope that we have. Because look what Paul says at the end of verse 5. He says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. That means two things. It means he's on hand. He's near in terms of his locality to us. God is with us. He's omniscient, uh, omnipresent, sorry. He's with us always, and so we can call on him in prayer. And Jesus said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. But I think especially the emphasis, because this is what Paul was talking about at the end of chapter 3, is on the return of the Lord and his coming. And that is something that can help give us patience. I was listening to that, the, the man who does the, the ministry and the, the news from around the world, J.D. Farage. And he said in one of his uh, talks, he said, you know what, I haven't got a problem in the world right now that the rapture would not solve. <laughs> and I've thought about that so many times. You know, I haven't got a problem in the world right now that the rapture would not solve. And it does give us hope, doesn't it, to face the difficulties of life with peace. We can have peace and gentleness because the Lord is near. May that help give you peace as you face the challenges of the days ahead. And then fourthly, we see Paul's ultimate uh, answer, I think, in verses 6 and 7, which is prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I don't know if you know this, but Amazon, uh, online with their online services, they do a survey, they keep an electronic record of the things in ebooks that people highlight. And they've been doing uh, this with all the famous books, the, 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 the famous novels and fictional books. Books that we wouldn't recommend, but, you know, uh, things like Harry Potter, things like uh, Hunger Games and stuff like that. They're interested in what people highlight in books, what it is in the book that they especially want to remember and come back to. Do you know what the passage that is the most highlighted passage in, in the Bible online is? It's these verses around the world it's not even john three sixteen. it's these verses because every christian knows the great value of these verses to not be anxious about everything but in anything but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god and very simply when we pray about things then we're putting the situation into god's hands uh 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, Cast your cares upon the Lord, and he, for he cares for you. And you know, if, uh, if Cressy was to um, uh, come and see me and say, John, can I have the keys to your car? 
But I threw my keys to Heather. I'd say, you can't get them off me. You've got to go to Heather. You know, when I give my cares to the Lord Jesus and the devil wants to come and nag me and cause problems in my heart, I say, I've given that to the Lord. It's a part of our way of getting peace. Now, I can get my keys back off Heather and I can get my worries back off the Lord. (laughs) I can go and start again, all over again. But if we've given it to the Lord, then we can have peace in our situation. Because Paul says in verse 7, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not a psychological trick. It's a supernatural reality. It's a peace of God that passes all understanding. You can't explain how someone can have this peace. Uh, there's a footballer whose name's Daryl Moore, who uh, used to play for Bournemouth and pra- played for West Brom and others. And he's a Christian, born-again Christian. And they talked to him in, a, in an interview once about his Christian faith. And they said, how do you find it with all the other guys uh, in, the, in the football team when you're a Christian? He said, he said, well, let me tell you something. One thing happened. We were flying overseas for a training event. And the plane went through the most terrible turbulence that we've ever experienced in our lives. The plane dropped in the sky about, you know, 100 feet, something like this. And we all were f- frightened. He said, but I just prayed. I said, Lord, I just give it all into your hands. And he said, afterwards, all the other guys came up to me and said, how did you stay so calm? Because they saw he was able to get that peace from praying to the Lord. It doesn't make sense logically, but it is the peace of God. The poet said, something happens when we pray. Powers of evil lose their sway. We gain strength and fear gives way. Therefore, let us pray. And it says there that it will guard our hearts and minds. The word guard there is the word for a century, a military century. God can guard you against the anxieties by praying about the issues of life. And that's a military word because it is a battle we're in. We are in a battle. I mean, let's be really honest. I'll be honest with you about what's on my heart and mind at the moment. I'm hearing on the news this year, this, this week, about the fuel prices going up. And the cost of heating our homes this winter. I don't know about you, but our finances are tighter than the bark on a tree already. How are we going to pay the massive increase in our heating bills this winter? Are we just going to have to turn our heating off and freeze? You know the thing we need to do? Pray about it. Pray into the situation. I'll tell you a great story, right? I might have told you this before, but it's worth telling again. David Pawson, the minister, was invited to go to a late-night TV debate uh, that, was, that was being held. And he was invited to go on a debate well, on the subject, does God answer prayer? And he thought it was going to be a roundtable discussion with him and some atheists and stuff like that. He got there, there was, there was loads of people. And they were all sat on a tier system uh, uh, up in, around the studio. And he thought, well, we're not going to get that much time uh, each to speak. But as he sat down, another minister came in and sat down next to him. So he thought, that was great. There's two of us now. And they were sat like two seats up. And the man on the front row down below him, David looked over his shoulder and saw this man had a load of newspaper cuttings. And let's just say they were disparaging newspaper cuttings against the church. All these terrible stories you hear of exorcisms happening and people being beaten up and police having to be involved and stuff like this. And this guy was obviously ready to spread mud 
on the, on the name of Christ. And David looked at the minister next to him and said, you see that down there? He said, we've just got time to pray before this program goes on air. So they got together and they prayed, put their heads together and they prayed. And do you know what happened? The man knocked over his glass of water and it poured all over his newspaper cuttings. And they all stuck to the floor. And as the, the, the person was coming around with the microphone, uh, there was this fellow picking up these things off the floor and they were coming away in strips. And they came to David Pawson with the microphone and they said, do you believe God answers prayer? <laughs> he said, the trouble was I couldn't just say. <laughs> but how God works. Uh, how great our God is in answering prayer. So listen to these words. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... Pray about it so that you have nothing else to worry about. Between anything and everything, I think that covers everything we can worry about and we can bring into our God's hands. And remember Isaiah 26 verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Finally, the last thing we see here is pondering. That's the final key to having peace in verse 8. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And what Paul is saying here, just very quickly, is to get your mind on the right things, not the wrong things. When the things that are negative, the things which are dark, the things that are sinful, the things that are, 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 are uh, hostile against us are focusing our thoughts, then we will lack peace. You know, the English word peace, uh, meditate, comes from a Latin word which means to rehearse. And it's true, that's what meditation is. You rehearse an issue over and over and over in your mind. It's not what the sort of Buddhist peace thing is all about. It's what we do in our minds when we have something going over and over in our mind. Paul says, try and get your mind on something of God instead. Get your mind on the things of God. Do you know how blinders for horses came about? It came about by a minister and... This tells you something about the nature of my fellow clergyman. But a minister had a bet with a man in the village that he could get his horse to walk upstairs in his house. It's a true story. And the minister uh, won the bet by managing to get his horse upstairs in his house. Why anyone would want to do this, I've got no idea. The problem was getting the horse down again afterwards because the horse was then frightened. And that was when the minister found if he put something on the side to blind the peripheral vision, the horse could only see one way and it could go down. You know, that's what Paul is saying. Put the blinders on to against things that are wrong and focus on what is right. And as you think about these things, and as you do them, as he says in verse 9, the things of God, the God of peace will be with you. So, dear friends, I hope this morning that you have peace with God. If you don't yet have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, come by the way of the cross to our Father and ask for his forgiveness. And then put into practice these five things that Paul says that you may enjoy the peace of God and the God of peace will be with you. Let's sing our final.